thing we've we've been we've been going uh, into. Uh, I should say that God has been leading us into, uh, of course, some of His full thought. And uh, the we were talking about the eternal is now. The eternal is. The eternal is is who God is. Who God is. So this makes it very essential and very necessary for us. Um, when we talk about the eternal is, we're talking about the nature, character, and essence of God. And this is what makes it essential for us to know. But the only way that we can know, we can know, is that God must reveal himself. And this is John 3 and verse 27. Can a man receive anything? In other words, know anything, except it come from heaven. So the eternal is, when we think about it, we're going back to really, and what, for us to understand, and, and many times we have to ascribe to God human thought and emotion. That's an anthropopathism. And then many other times to, to understand op, how he operates, we ascribe to him what we call anthropomorphisms or we put forms or human forms to him to see how he he operates. And that's why, for instance, in Luke 3, 6 and other scriptures, he made bare his holy arm. Of course, and we know that that's Christ. So the eternal is goes back to what is, I don't, the eternal is, is John 1, 1. In the beginning, the word, the word with God, and the word God, and then verse 2, the same in the beginning with God. So we have, we have the realization, the the essence, the nature, character, and essence of God revealed through Jesus Christ. That's how we know Him. That's how experientially we enter into His presence, and His presence has to do with His nature, character, and essence, and that has to do with God through Jesus by and through Jesus Christ glorifying Himself, and that's what makes. Uh, brings out the reality of in John 13, 31 and, and 32, that Christ was already glorified by the Father. We see that in those verses. We also see it in John 17 and verse 4, Jesus Christ's high priestly prayer, the most intimate conversation of God manifested through Jesus Christ on earth between Jesus Christ and his father. It's the most intimate communication between the father and the son on the earth. And it has to do with the eternal is in those 26 verses in John 17, 1 to 26. And so when we talk about the eternal is, obviously in Isaiah 57 and verse 15, God inhabits eternity. And this is why in Hebrews 11, verse 6, why it says, without faith it is impossible, without depending on him, his nature, character, and essence, through, in and through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we function and know him. It is impossible to please him, because he that comes to God, what does it say? Must believe that what? He is. He is. Who is he? Who did God make him to be for us? Who was he? He's the eternal, 
Son of God in John 1, verses 1 and 2. The same came out from God in 1.14 and put on humanity, thus becoming the Son of Man. And so the Son of God becomes one in the Son of Man. And God became a man and became a man forever. The greatest, most incredible revelation of the nature, character, and essence of God that there is. He's the most unique one in all of eternity, is the Son of God, because in him is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, as some translations say in Colossians 2 and verse 9, the original says that he was filled up with all of who God is as he walked the earth. What an amazing thing. <clears throat> so it has to do, eternal is, has to do with the presence of God. The presence of God has to do with his glory. The glory of God has to do with the essence of his nature, character, and again, his essence, which makes it essential for him to be known. So we see that. We know him now only through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, and 14. The Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ. He shows them unto us, those that are his. He doesn't speak of himself, but he glorifies this, uh, He glorifies Jesus Christ, which has to do with the glory of the Trinity manifested and revealed through Jesus Christ. And he also convicts the world, the unsaved mass of humanity, of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And we see the reasons for that. If you see that, you can read it in John 16 verses 8 to 11. And so then when we, we enter into the presence of God, who is God, and we see Psalm 16, 11, we enter into the presence of God. No wonder the psalmist said in 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord before my face. How do we set? We set the Lord. We can never do that apart from Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we enter into the presence, and who is God in his essential nature and character and essence? That is love in 1 John 4, 7 to 20, specifically 4, 8, and 16 of 1 John chapter 4. God is love. God is love. And that's why we can see when we see what is called in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is what Christ accomplished. It is the love of God, justice being fulfilled. We see this in Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. Then the Holy Spirit takes the things, takes those things. And that's why it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We would never even know the fruit of Christ. We would never know that fruit. Apart from God, the Holy Spirit. That's why it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because they all, took, they all had a part in the, the complete salvation of the believer. Again, that's Colossians 2, 9, and 10. The whole time that Jesus Christ walked the face of the earth, that he was filled up with all of who God is. Who God, what? Is. The eternal is. And then it says in Colossians 2, 10, King James says, and you are complete in him. Really, it says, and you are filled up in him. Anything about us did God leave undone? Nope. Not one single thing. And that's why it says, 
and first John three one to three. Behold, oh behold, what manner, what kind of love is this? What kind of love is this that we should be loved by him? And it doesn't even appear right now who we are and what we will be. But we do know one thing. When he does appear, we will also appear with him, and then we'll know. And that's first John three, one to three. And this is what we look forward to. And the whole creation in Romans eight and verse nineteen through twenty-three, the whole creation is waiting and groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. The whole creation in in Romans eight twenty-two groans even now. The whole earth is like one big groaning thing. And we also groan not helplessly, not without the truth of who Christ is, but we groan longing to be clothed with him in eternity. And we groan. And part of that groaning is has to do with, in 2 Corinthians 7.10, there's a godly sorrow that does enter into a groaning. But even with that, when we can't understand the depth of it, this all has to do with the eternal is, by the way. The Holy Spirit takes what we we groan, and our groaning goes beyond even being able to put it into words, but he knows it. He had a part. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all were functioning in and through Jesus Christ for our salvation, which had to do with God being propitiated in Genesis 22 and verse 8. Thereby the Father was able to give us the Son, allow him to come out, from John 1, verses 1 and 2, come out and tabernacle himself in humanity, and 1 and verse 14, and to add unto us grace upon grace in one sixteen of John, because the law, it came through and by Moses, but separated from all that legalism of the flesh, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And so all these things go into this truth beautifully, beautifully, as we are on our way with eternal life, and that eternal life is Christ himself. He, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are the eternal is. No separation. No separation. Even when Christ put on, uh, tabernacled himself, the Son of God tabernacled himself in humanity, he was never separated from the bosom of the Father. You cannot separate or, or part out or parcel out God from who he is in his fullness, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Can't do it. The whole time that Jesus walked the face of the earth, he never, never left the bosom of the Father indeed because it was, it was an impossibility. It's an impossibility. And that's what makes our salvation so secure. That's what makes it so secure in John 6, 37 and 39 and in John 28, John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. We are held. And the fixedness of the eternal is. And that goes into the, fix, the fixedness of what we're going to experience. It goes into the fact that we're holy and pure. That's Revelations 22 and verse 11. And uh, so this is what this eternal life is. And that eternal life is Christ in 1 John 5, 11. And that involves, obviously, a father, the son, obviously, and God, the Holy Spirit. And that's when... Mary was at the tomb. She did not recognize Jesus Christ because she was looking for a dead Savior. She didn't recognize him. She was overwhelmed 
with grief and with gloom. That's what the enemy tries to do with us. So we don't function in the eternal is of reality in a proper image. He makes us think that the groaning is who we are. The pain is who we are. It's never going to change. Oh, God, will it ever end? Well, honestly, it has in Christ. And even the, the groaning that even the enemy meant for evil, God means for good. And we're going to see it. You know, our precious Savior groaned. Isn't that amazing? The pure Son of God. In John 11 and verse 33, when they were weeping, they were weeping at the grave of Lazarus. It says he groaned. Some call it the shortest verse in the Bible. <laughs> Jesus groaned. Then in John 11:35, he wept. Oh, he knows that groaning. He knows that tear. They go into a language. We've, we've, God has given us his word about tears, how they are made up of a chemical and, and uh, a certain chemistry, a certain makeup that speak a language that goes beyond words. And the Holy Spirit is able to take those groanings in 826. And, and the oneness of who Jesus is, then he enters into interceding for us in Hebrews 7 and verse 25. Think about it. He's our eternal life. The eternal is. In John 17, uh, verses 2 and 3, and in 1 John 5, 11. But he ever lives as our eternal life. But he's ever living right now for us to make intercession for us in the midst of our groaning, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our tears. We're, gonna, we're on our way to the eternal is. Christ is our pattern. He's our example. 1 Peter 2.21. He walked steps. What were those steps? Tremendous suffering, but where did they lead to glory? And that's why in Revelation 21 and verse 4, also 7.17, those that were beheaded, beheaded prior to Christ coming back in the second advent, based upon the tribulation, in Revelation 7 and verse 17, even he wipes away their tears, meaning he cleanses the memory. Oh, wow. Cleanses the memory. And then in 21 and verse 4, he wipes away all our tears. Because we see in 21, 1 to 3, the new Jerusalem as a bride adorned for her husband. That's a picture of the church coming down with Christ on the earth. That's us. And he's going to wipe away every tear. And there'll be no more uh, crying, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. For the former things are passed away. Listen, they're passed away already for us positionally in Christ. He represents us as he sits at the right hand of the Father in Psalm 110 and verse 1 and scores of other scriptures. We're on our way to eternity. We're on our way. We're on our way. And that time is it's fast closing. We were just saying, we were just talking, Barbara and I with, with Juddy L there, <clears throat> we were just hearing and realizing, oh, how time is flying. But for us, you know what that means? We're going to soon see him face to face. Oh boy, First Corinthians 13, 12. We'll never be tempted to sin again. Never again. Never, never, never again. And so we look for him. And he's given us that grace. In Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has already appeared. It already has. 
It's already appeared for us. This is traditional foundational truth. This is primary positional foundational security. Proper image. The grace of God has already appeared to us. That's Christ in John 1.14. Filled up with all that that grace and truth is. In 1.14 of John. For the grace of God has appeared unto us. What? All. All in Christ. What? Teaching us. What? To deny for now all ungodliness. All ungodliness. To live soberly and righteously in this present Lord. Because he's coming soon. He's coming soon. And I'm just going to read these verses here. And they're so precious to us. Based upon his precious blood. His whole life poured out for us. We can see this clearly in 1 Peter 1, verse 19. He's very precious to us. He's incomparable. He's immutable. He's unchanging in who he is in us and who we are in him. And we don't buy the lie that we're our sin, we're our pain, we're our groaning. No, we don't buy those things. No, we buy the truth. In Proverbs 23, 23, we don't sell it out based upon a lie. We don't. We don't. And we come constantly and buy and eat with no money, no works. In Isaiah 55 and verse 1, I'm not going to spend that and use a lie in 55, 2 of Isaiah. But here we are as we close it out uh, this morning. And I'm so thankful to God to bring these things back to us. He was just waiting for us to be so gracious for so many of us to be able to have this and hear it. In Titus 2.11, for the grace, the grace, charis of God. This is Jesus Christ. This is what Paul, through the Holy Spirit, through Paul, was teaching us and still teaching them at Athens and teaching the whole church at Ephesus. All that Ephesian truth. In the epistle of Ephesians, he said in Acts 20 and verse 32, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Primary security, foundational security, and to give you an inheritance experientially based upon how you're positioned in Christ with him and you. And to give you an inheritance among all those that already are sanctified. And that's why Jesus said in John 17, 17, in his most intimate prayer, and language between his father and son when he walked the face of the earth. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And that's why Jesus, we have to do it because if we don't, in the submission of our will through a yoke, we will live in sin. So we need to be sanctified. He never did in John 17 and verse 19, but he did it in perfect obedience. For the grace of God that brings salvation constantly brings deliverance to us and reality eternal the eternal mind of christ first corinthians 2 and verse 16 has appeared to all men has it it has oh really yes it has psalm 19 1 through 14 brings it out clearly the salvation of god has appeared unto all Unto all, teaching us, especially those that are his church, 
that denying in the only way, what's the only way we can deny sin, deny the lies? What's the only way? His grace. Will God give me grace to sin, to live in it? In Romans 6, 1 and 15. In Romans 3, 8, never. God forbid. God forbids it. And the cross is the revelation of it. In Galatians 6 and verse 14, God forbids that I should glory, thinking that we can take the grace and truth of who Christ is that he's given us in our position and live in sin experientially. He doesn't do that. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Worldly lusts. We have to be so careful. Mark 4 and verse 24, be careful what you hear. That means whatever we allow to go into our eyes and into our hearing that's of the world. 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And we know what they are. Why do we function in them? I'll tell you, and the reason why any of us would, the way I would or any, any of us would, without God condemning or accusing us, thank God, there's no, no uh, condemnation for us in Christ in Romans 8. One, but why? Because, because in James 4, 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not continuously, you live in sin. Well, it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. You see those worldly lusts. You see those in, in Matthew 15, 16 to 20 and Mark chapter 7, verse 14 to 23. You see them listed in Galatians 5, uh, 19 to 21. Not living in worldly lust because, you know, Satan wants to father those that are positioned in Christ and their experience through a lie in John 8, verse 44. He's the father of all lies and he wants to father us the way he used to prior to salvation, prior to being in Christ through these lusts and sins. Well, no. We should live soberly, righteously. All this is based upon Romans 5, 1 to 21, by the way. That's positional truth. We have to experience it. We have to experience Romans 6. But then we have to experience the flesh in Romans, the seventh chapter. And each area we grow, we enter into Romans 8, uh, 1 through 31. Really, the gospel within the gospel, some have said. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world that we're in now. Looking. Horizontal view? No, vertical view. All about the earth? No. Horizontal living? No. Vertical living. Looking for that blessed hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How close we are. Colossians 1.27. Here we are as we close. Titus 2.13. Looking for that blessed hope. Eternal is. And the glorious appearing of the great God. Who is our Savior Jesus Christ. It's not making a separation here. God and Jesus Christ. The fullness. Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Who gave himself. And he gave himself for us to be positioned in them through salvation and in intercession in Hebrews 7.25, in Hebrews 9 and verse 24, in Romans 8 verse 34, he is ever living, giving himself still, interceding for us. 
who gave himself for us. God for us, Romans 8, 31, Psalm 56, verse 9, who can be against us? Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all what? Iniquity. And the truth is that iniquity, truthfully, in most areas of our growth or a lack of experience and truth, positionally, is because those things that we know to do good, we don't do. And we just keep going back to them. Then we wonder why we struggle. To redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a very particular people. Listen, this goes into Revelations 2 and verse 17. The body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13 is made up of many many members, but we are each in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, a particular member, meaning particularly everything he did, he did for us as an individual. And that goes into Revelation 2 and verse 17. So we're going to close. Zealous. Zealous of what? Good works. That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We are saved by grace through faith dependence and even that none of ourselves we, that has to be created by him by humbling us and to give us the grace to allow us to continue to be dependent is not even of ourselves but it is a gift of god and not of works lest any man should boast psalm 44 and verse 8 our boast is in the lord for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus the eternal is whereby created in christ jesus so that we could walk in the good works of what he's created in us for us to enjoy. That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. These things speak. Let, these, let the word penetrate, that word Greek word ice, E-I-S. Let it penetrate into us and let us make a choice that we can speak these things. No longer corrupt in Ephesians 4 and verse 29. No longer grieving the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4 and verse 30 from leading us experientially into all the things of who Christ is and what he's accomplished in John 16, 13, and 14. Speak and exhort. <laughs> Be a vessel that supplies. In Ephesians 4 and verse 15, grow up in him and speak Speak the things in Christ and be a, uh, a supply in 4.16. Not living for ourselves, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Philippians 2 and verse 21, but living in Christ with him and us for others. And rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you or think little of you when you reveal the gentleness and the beauty the gentleness and the beauty of who Christ is in you. And Lord, we thank you for this truth this morning. We praise you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.